Psalm 62. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my God is a refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come before you humbly, knowing that you are, um, you are above all, and you see all. You are our guiding light. We just thank you for your son, Christ, that we can come before you and seek your wisdom and your word that you have given to us. I pray that you would bless Kevin in his word. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You guys ever have one of those mornings that just everything that is happening goes wrong? Um, I've had one of those weeks in a lot of ways. Um, I haven't preached um, here in front of you guys in quite some time, so if you're newer and you're, you're looking at me and you're like, who is this guy? My name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. <laughs> it's good to see you. Um, but as, I, as I've been preparing, um, you know, I've been preaching now pretty consistently for, you know, six, six and a half years, and so preparation time uh, for um, sermons has, you know, become less and less of a, a toil and a work for me over the years, but as I uh, was preparing this week. Um, you know, I don't. You know, I, I'm 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 slow to attribute everything to spiritual warfare, and you know, I mean, I know it's really popular in the South, where if you sin, you just say the devil made me do it, and you move on, you know. And so, um, but you know, it's been strange this week, um, as I felt like I've really toiled and struggled with how to to put into words um, what what. God's word is going to say to us this morning and what he's going to be speaking about. And then, you know, we arrived at the church this morning, and as you can see, we have TVs that have just decided, no, we're done. And um, an air conditioning went out on the campus this week, and they've moved all of our children's stuff, so we have people scrambling around trying to get the kids' rooms ready this morning. And, and so I, I personally feel like I'm being pulled in 30 different directions when I, when I come up here this morning, and it's interesting because... As I like frustratingly uh, have been trying to put fires out all morning, I think what God's word's going to talk about this morning is speaking maybe to my heart right now in a way that that I need to hear, but hopefully all of you um, need to hear as well. So, so here's the deal: um, if if you want to see the screens, you're, I'm not going to be offended if you decide to move a, a row or two back <laughs> from from where you're you're sitting this morning. And I apologize that they're not working this morning. But I'm going to pray for this. I'm going to pray that God might meet us in this time to be impacted by his word in a, in a way that will help us seek him in a, in, a, in a stronger and deeper and more meaningful way after we leave here this morning. So will you just bow your heads and, and pray with me? And I, I promise, I feel like I'm setting everything up and I've explained nothing. Everyone's kind of looking at me like, Kevin's like really, really like contemplative and deep this morning. Like what's going on? But uh, let's just pray. God, you are good. 
And sometimes it does not feel that way. Sometimes the experiences that are flying all around us don't seem to indicate that. Um, Sometimes our circumstances lead us to believe otherwise. But Lord, if we understand you, if we understand your word, if we understand the gospel, we have all we need that pertains to life and godliness in Christ. Father, quiet our hearts this morning. Allow us to just sit and meditate on your goodness. God, dust the dirtiness and the busyness and the clutter that we place in our heart and our soul this morning. Clear it out, Father, so we might worship you, that we might come to your word afresh with new eyes, with new life, centered around worshiping you and making much of you because you are the chief treasure of our lives. Lord, if your word needs to draw us to repentance this morning, might you do that? If it needs to incline our heart to worship, might you do that? If it leads us to need to reconcile with somebody, might it do that? But above all else, Lord, might it lead us to resolve to make much of you in all of our days. We love you, and I ask this all expectantly in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, my wife has been saying something to me um, over the last couple of years that um, had never really hit me before, um, mainly because I'm stubborn, uh, but also because I didn't really believe uh, what she was saying actually um, was true. Um, some of you guys are like, man, Kevin's really rude. It's not intentional. I just always assume I'm right. It's a, it's a, it's a huge character flaw of mine that the Lord is slowly, painfully beating uh, out of me. Um, but as I started preparing for this week's sermon, those words, which is actually in reality is probably not something she said to me for probably a couple months, but I just felt like the Lord's kind of drawing these words that my wife had said to me um, over the course of the last couple years. Because on the average day, I am pretty much constantly doing something, um, whether Um, I'm answering phone calls, text messages, emails, watching or listening to sermons, watching TV, uh, listening to podcasts, reading a book. I I am like the definition of someone who's pretty much always doing something. Some of it may be productive, some of it maybe not, uh, but I'm always doing something. And and a few months ago, I walked into my kitchen and I said, okay, Google, for those of you guys that don't have a Google Home, um, that's our you know, our Alexa or whatever you call it. And if I just set off your Google Assistant, I apologize. But um, I walked into the, to the kitchen and I, I, I planned to do the dishes. And so I, I, say, I say to the Google Assistant, hey, I want to hear the news. And so I'm sitting there washing the dishes and, and Jackie walks in and, and says, when do you ever let your brain just shut down and stop downloading information? And I brushed her off. You know, I'm like, look, I'm doing the dishes, don't hate, you know, like, 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 if I want to watch Netflix while I do the dishes, or uh, listen to a podcast, or listen to the news, like, back off, I'm doing the dishes, I'm being a good husband, like, chill out, you know, like, well, get out of my face, and, and, and so she, you know, knowing that this was not a battle to pick in that moment, because I had clearly dug my heels in very, very early into a seemingly innocuous and very, very small suggestion, she kind of, she kind of backs off. And so as I read through Psalm 62 earlier this week, though, the very first line struck me in a very profound and deep way. Look at what David says. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. And as I read those two verses closely, the Spirit just started chipping away at my heart. And I kept coming away with this question, 
is my soul noisy? Is my soul noisy? And that inevitably kind of raises the question of what, what does it mean to have a noisy soul in the first place? Because, you know, like, okay, cool, Kevin, like you pulled something out of the text and you used some really cool language to tie with it. But if we don't do anything to define what I mean by that, it, it's not really helpful. But the reality is this, is we live in a time and a season where we have more options and outlets of distraction than any other time in human history. And I would venture to guess that it's only going to get worse. Um, 20 years ago, if you wanted to get on the internet, and, and some of you guys who are young in this room are going to have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, but 20 years ago, if you wanted to get on the internet, you had to log onto a computer that took approximately five minutes to start. Once that computer was then you know, running... Um, you had to have that computer dial a number to get on the internet, which took another two to five minutes to connect, um, which also tied up a telephone line. And for those of you guys that don't know what a telephone line is, it's, uh, it came into the, the wall of your home, and then you plugged your telephone into it, and that's how you made phone calls. And so it would tie up your, your telephone line, and then once that connection was made, you could then surf the internet at excruciatingly slow speeds. Um, you know, you, you could go to a webpage and read the news or do something. Today, almost all of us have one of these devices that can access and connect the internet at blazingly fast speeds anywhere, and I always find it amusing that all these cell phone companies, like, if we just, like, could remember what life was like, like, everything, the big deal right now is, like, 5G. I, I, by the way, I have no science behind this, but, like, we're, are we sending microwave uh, gamma rays, like, through our body because we want more speed on our phones? I don't know. But the reality is, is, like, everything is, like, we want it faster. We want it now. We want, and more and more opportunities to download, connect information at even faster speeds. And these devices allow us to connect with friends, right? I use that term lightly because social media is a lie and a sham. Surf the web, uh, answer email for work, play games, listen to music and podcasts, watch hours and hours of TV and YouTube, um, all in our pocket. Like the convenience has, has never been better, has never been at an all-time high like it is now. And while I appreciate the convenience that comes from these devices, I sit and I can't help but wonder, how have these devices affected my ability or our ability to sit before the Lord silently and wait? Because we don't have to wait for anything else. If you want food, Grubhub. You want a book, Amazon Prime. And you don't even have to wait two days. You can get it on your Kindle immediately. Right? Everything is just instantaneously at our fingertips at all times because of these devices. And if I'm honest, my phone has definitely had a negative impact on me, especially spiritually. My phone and my, my craving for more information and to listen and to hear these things has created a noisiness inside of me and in my soul. Uh, let, me, let me give you a prime example of this. When I, when I was in college, I was busy. Right? My senior year, I had decided that I was likely going into ministry, and so that school was um, really of very, very little importance. By the way, um, poor theology of work. Don't do that if you're a student. God has you at school in this season for a very specific reason, and you need to do well in your classes to the glory of God. So there was some, some sinful behavior and patterns in my own heart, but I was working with two ministries in my town, probably roughly 60 hours a week, working part-time, and then also was um, trying to finish school. And I was busy. I had a full course load. And yet in that season, with as busy as I was, I was constantly in prayer, and with my schedule and things that were around me, I found in that season a, a sense of calm and peace in my heart because there was a great dependence upon the Lord and what he was doing in my life. Fast forward to probably about a year ago, the church was busy. 
We had leaders that had moved on and gotten other job opportunities in other cities. We had new people coming in that needed to be discipled. And I found that during that season, I was trying to operate amongst my own gift set and the things that I had. And from that, uh, things like a short timber, uh, anger, and stress took over my life. Same level of life busyness, but because my soul was not quiet before the Lord at this time last year, there was a great distress going on in my soul. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys four things that I think I see that are typical of a noisy soul because I think if we start answering and, and thinking about this question, is my soul noisy, we need to be honest with ourselves of what that might look like. Okay, so, so noisy sh- souls show some consistent traits, in my opinion. And by the way, this list is not exhaustive. I'm sure you guys could probably come up with five or six other things, but these are just the ones that kind of came up into my own mind as I was preparing this week. Number one, if someone's soul is noisy, they lack the ability to listen. And, and what, I, what I mean by that is if you find yourself in a conversation with somebody always thinking about what you're going to say next instead of what the other person is going to say, you, you lack a consistent ability to listen. If you find yourself even in prayer thinking about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing that you're going to say to the Lord instead of just being willing to just sit there, and sometimes, guys, God doesn't always speak to us, that's okay. Right? If you find yourself in the Word always having to find the next theological nugget or whatever else instead of just hearing and sitting before God's Word and what He might have for you, it might be an indication that your soul is noisy and we need to start working out some ways to quiet it. Number two, those with noisy souls lack the ability to reflect meaningfully. This is, I'm, I am super guilty of this. Chief, chief offender of this. Right? But if your soul is noisy, you're never allowing those quiet moments to just think, what has been going on in my day and what have I been doing? And if you're not wrestling with these questions of what is going on in my own soul, what is going on in my own heart, that inability to reflect is then going to lead to a lack of repentance, and a lack of repentance leads to a lack of faith in God because you have no need for him. Right? The, the truth of repentance is not just that we declare our need of forgiveness before a holy God, but we're declaring our dependence upon his grace and his mercy to sustain us and change us. And a noisy soul crowds our ability to reflect meaningfully what is going on in our own heart and therefore drives us away from God and our ability to reflect on our need for him. Number three. I think a noisy soul leads to a lack of deep and meaningful relationships, both with others and with God. If you're not listening well, if your mind is constantly thinking about something else or being crowded by things, you're going to constantly be treading at surface level, doing a lot of things maybe okay, but nothing well. And and if I understand the scripture correctly, the things that I see the Lord saying to us time and time again, the things that that he really cares about is our relationships. The way that we relate with him, but also the way we relate with others. If you think about the greatest commandments, right? They're relational. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There's nothing about finishing your daily Bible reading plan in there. There's nothing about how many different organizations you need to serve with. No, it's all relational. How are you relationally striving with the Lord, and how are you relationally striving with those that God has around you? And a noisy soul crowds and really inhibits our ability to go deep and meaningfully in those relationships that the Lord has put in front of us. And then number four, noisy souls lack the ability to rest in meaningful ways. Again, chief offender of this. Probably the best thing that I could do is turn my phone off on my day off. Because I'm always quick to think that the next crisis or the next thing that's going on in someone's life 
or what is going on around the world, right, needs my input. Right? Here's something I started doing about a month ago, and it's been really, really good for me. As I read something on social media that drives me crazy, and I'm ready to um, go into an argument with somebody and show them all the ways that they're wrong and their worldview sucks, um, I ask myself this question. Is my opinion needed here, and will it bring value? I have yet to post something since I started asking myself that question. Right, the re- like the reality is, is God designed us to spend somewhere around a third of our life asleep. God on the seventh day rested and then commanded that his people rest as well. Right, that Sabbath rest is a commandment and a mandate from the Lord, not just to observe because it's a command, but because we need it. You guys ever think about the, the idea that if we take an entire day to rest, what God communicates by us doing that? We communicate to an unbelieving world, God empowers me to get done in six days what it takes the rest of you guys who don't know him seven days. God empowers me, right, to get done in 16 hours what the rest of you guys want to get done in 18, 19, or 20, right? That by resting, not only are we doing what God designed us to do and what we need, but we're communicating the grandiose nature of our God and how big he is to make things happen despite our own power. And so what if we were honest with ourselves this morning? If we're sitting here kind of reflecting on these four things and thinking to ourselves, man, that, I, that sounds like me. I mean, I'm guilty of all four of those things there and more that aren't even listed there. If I'm honest with myself, is this what God wants for me? Is this what God wants for us? Should our lives look like this? And I would say this, Psalm 62 is an invitation to quiet our hearts, to quiet our souls, And to see how David preached to his own soul and encouraged his own heart to seek after God in stillness and silence. Look at what he says in those first two verses again. I read those earlier, but I'm going to read them again. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. As notice what David is doing here in this, in this psalm and in this song. Right? He's preaching to himself. Right? He's renewing his mind and remembering these things that he needs to do and has done in the past that have drawn him closer and into deeper intimacy with his creator. He says, my soul, right? For God alone, my soul is going to wait And I am going to quiet my soul and have it wait in silence. I'm not going to sit there screaming at God, demanding that he move, that he do what I I want him to do. No, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to ask my soul to wait. Why? Because God is worthy. Right, look, at what he, look at what he says to his soul. Right? He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Right? God is his rock, is his fortress, is his salvation. Guys, the primary reason for the busyness of our souls oftentimes is because of an improper realization of our need for God. Right? That we download and compute so much information because we think it's going to help um, satisfy the longings of our heart in some way, shape, or form. And some of you guys are like, oh, no, Kevin, you don't understand. Like, I don't listen to podcasts for self-help or whatever else. Like, I'm not doing that. I I would just encourage you to think about why you're doing the things that you're doing and why your heart is so crowded. 
As I was reflecting on it this week, one of the primary reasons I thought, like, man, like, I spend a ton of time listening to sports podcasts or theology podcasts or listening to something, not, not even necessarily because I think I need that information to complete me in some way, but because I think if I have all that information, I'm going to have a higher status around everyone else around me. And that higher status will lead me, right, to finding some sort of satisfaction or validation in life that I'm looking for that really is only going to come from God. That God has designed us to need him, and David is crying out to his soul here, hey, soul, listen up, quiet down, be still, we need the Lord, Right, as C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, he says, God made us. He invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. So Jesus says things like, man does not live on bread alone, but on the word of God. As you and I, if we continue to live in ways that distract ourselves from the glory of God, we start throwing in things that our engines run on. It would be like in your car, throwing in things that are not gonna run the engine. If you, if you started throwing in things that your car wouldn't uh, run properly, what would your engine do? Start shaking, it would start rattling, it would start making a ton of noise because it's not running properly. Why would our souls be any different? And David says, to himself, soul, you need God. You need to wait on him. He is your rock. He is your salvation. He is your fortress. The height of human arrogance is centered around our propensity to think I can provide all I need for life and happiness. And if you've read through the scriptures at all, it's been the universal human problem since Genesis chapter three. You will be like God knowing good from evil. And our problems have been following us ever since. And David speaks in the midst of the weariness of his soul, I need the Lord. And he goes on to say, not only do I need the Lord, but I will not be greatly shaken. As he preaches to himself, he says, if we long to pursue God, to rest in him, and to still the noisiness of our souls, we must resolve to silence our souls to the sound of his voice. Those of you guys that are younger in the room, let me let you in on a little secret. Nothing ever happens in life without intentionality. Nothing. Jesus going to the cross, dying for our sins, being buried and raising again three days later was intentional. It was the Father's perfect will for the Son. This church plant happened and continues to happen because of intentionality. Your career will either thrive or crash and burn based on how intentional you are at striving and working well in that moment. And David is letting us in on a secret here, right? That to still our hearts and our souls before the Lord and to quiet the noisiness of our souls takes a level of intentionality of pursuing the Lord and quieting our hearts and minds around us. Guys, have you ever thought about this, that when the Bible talks about spiritual warfare, it doesn't just talk about Satan and demons. It talks about three different ways in which spiritual warfare kind of impacts our lives. It says the pride of life, which is just your and I's propensity, right, in our depravity, right, to pursue the things that we want apart from God's design. It talks about Satan and demons, but it also talks about the current world system that we live in. Guys, believe it or not, 
right? Our culture is not friendly towards you and I growing in Christ. And I'm not talking about from a political perspective or our ability to worship freely on a Sunday morning or praying. No, I'm talking about the way that culture is designed is to do things that will draw your attention and your gaze away from God and onto self. Just reflect for a minute on what culture tells you. You can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. You can have anything you want to have. Right? It's the consistent message that is preached to us from media, television, friends, school, our government documents even say that. Right? That culture, by definition, is designed to turn our gaze and our attention away from God. And it wasn't any different from da- for David. And yet David resolves to quiet his soul intentionally and wait. And here, by the way, here's proof that da- like things are going crazy around David. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says this, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall and a tottering fence? He's referring to himself here, by the way, guys. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. Who's in the high position? David, he's the king. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. David was well-versed in the fact that, that the people around him and the system around him and his own government were by design drawing his gaze and attention away from his creator in whom he trusted. And David constantly went through times of severe persecution in his life. So if anyone had a reason to be nervous and discontent and have a noisy life, it was David. I mean, here was a guy who was attacked by the king, attacked and had his kingdom taken from him by his own son, and was constantly at war. He was a busy dude. He had things pressing in on him at all times. Specifically, look at verse 4 where he says, They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. He's talking about his own family and his own advisors that outwardly they would support him and love him, but inwardly they would actually be trying to curse him and tear down what was going on in his life. So he was used to working hard for people and them saying one thing but believing another. And the idol of approval was a constant battle for David. As he sought to be loved by Israel and increase God's kingdom through them. As he sought to be accepted by Saul or by his own family. And this led to a constant working and fighting for him and the various things that he walked through over the course of his life. By definition, guys, a lot of noise. A lot of noise and distractions around him. And as David's world collapses around him, he doesn't resolve to work harder. He doesn't resolve to be a better king. He doesn't resolve to spend wiser or learn ways to better manage his time. He doesn't even resolve to get more sleep. He instead resolves to do the one thing that anyone should really do when they are in a situation that's out of their hands. That's rest in the Lord. Right? He, he basically, in verses 5 through 8, just repeats the resolve to his own soul that he had made in verses 1 and 2. For God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him all, at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge to us. We're not going to focus in on the tunnel in verse 8 right now because we're going to come back to that. But if you notice, verses 5 through 7 there, he's speaking internally to his own soul. And then in verse 8, he makes a declaration to the people around him. But in verses 5 through 7, he's, just, he's, he's back at it again, right? Soul, for God alone Must we wait in silence? Nothing else will do or satisfy us. 
Right? Then he goes on to say, wait in silence. He's telling his soul, there's nothing that we can learn from our advisors. There's nothing that we can learn from war. There's nothing that we can learn from other kings. Everything that we need for life and godliness is going to come from him, and that's going to take us sitting down, being quiet, and waiting. And guys, let me, let me just like preface this by saying, what David is preaching to his own soul is hard, and there's a reason why he's preaching to his own soul, because he doesn't want to do this, and it doesn't come naturally. Like, like, typically, if we realize there's some sort of problem going on in our lives, some sort of deficiency, some sort of issue, we resolve to try to figure out how to fix it, right? That's what we do. We problem solve. I, okay, like, I, I'm unhappy. Let's, let's dive into why I'm unhappy. Or, hey, I've, I've got financial problems. Let's dive into these financial problems and figure out the way to fix them. That's just how we operate. And yet David says that the only way right, to fix the real issues and this longing for the Lord is to sit down, be quiet, be still, and listen. And here's the good news, that if, if, if you do that, if we start beginning this practice of stilling and quieting our hearts, the promise of David, even to his own soul as he preaches here, God is faithful. God will show up. God is good. God is my rock. He is my salvation. He's unmovable. He's a savior. He is my fortress. He's a place of safety when the world is not. On God alone rests my salvation, my glory. He's my mighty rock and my refuge. Here's what David's preaching to himself. God is safe, God is glorious, he is firm, and he's a protector. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing in this world where you could use all of those adjectives to describe something other than God. The right job, the right amount of money, the right house, the right family, the right spouse. None of those things will provide all of that. I mean, David is the king, (laughs) right? If anyone probably has it good, it's him. And yet God in his mercy has met him in this place and he has said to him, quiet your soul, David, because in me alone comes what you need. Protection, salvation, safety. God is far better than the things we use to preoccupy our thoughts, our minds, and our affections. The question is, we know that the scripture tells us this, will we believe it? We believe that God is as good. Will we discipline our hearts and our minds to notice when they've gone astray, running after things for satisfaction and salvation when they aren't from the Lord? David even preaches right here in verses 9 through 12 of what it looks like when you run after things that aren't on the Lord. And he's going to specifically kind of hone in on finances, but look at what he says. He says, those of low estate are but a breath, and those of high estate are a delusion. And the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Right? I mean, look at what he said. He's like, rich, rich man, poor man, what's true of them? Both die. Everyone's going to die, whether they're rich or they're poor. He's preaching to his own soul, don't, don't trust in wealth, don't trust in financial security, it's, it's not going to satisfy. Any of you guys ever watched that show, um, Shark Tank? About half the room, okay. 
So for those of you that don't know, it's like these entrepreneurs walk into a room and there's these four wealthy business tycoons that sit before them and they get like five minutes to pitch their business idea to get an investment from these business tycoons. And there's one guy on there all the time um, that has the same name as me and I don't know if it's God's way of chastising me or not. Uh, but like he, he for me, every time I watch that show is like the definition of depravity run amok. And, and the reason I say that is not because, I mean, he's kind of rude and a jerk while he's there anyway, so maybe that's part of the reason why. But if you watch just like the language he uses to describe why he invests and, and why he's in business and what he's doing, it's heartbreaking to me. He is worth billions with a B of dollars. And he will fight over $2,000 in an investment. And I've heard him drop this line before. Sorry, I'm not going to do that because I love money more than I love helping. Billions that he is worth. And there's one thing he runs after. More money. Guys, guess what's going to happen to him one day? He's going to die and stand before his creator and not a penny of that billion is going to help him before the Lord. Right, as David preaches to us here, he's like, look, rich and poor, all will die. He's not saying one's better than, than the other. He's just saying, don't, don't look at your financial situation and think that that's going to bring you some level of quietness and stillness and happiness. Right? He says in, in verse 10 that to trust in security and finances on our own power is going to ultimately probably lead to sin, which is why he says don't trust in extortion or robbery. If your riches increase, he says, do not set your hope on them. Guys, let me, let me just say this. Financial security is a really terrible false god because it lulls you into a sense of security and quietness for your heart that's never going to fully satisfy. I've seen dozens of people at this point pursue wealth at the sake of relational harmony with their family and others. And I have counseled dozens of men and women at this church over the years who had everything given to them by their parents financially, but all they wanted was their presence, not presence. And as David wrestles with his own soul and he preaches to the people that will be singing this song corporately in the temple. He says, don't trust in that. In God alone will we trust. And then look how he finishes preaching to himself here in verses 11 and 12. He says, once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. That power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. Notice what he's saying there. Steadfast love doesn't belong to his spouse, doesn't belong to his generals, it doesn't belong to his advisors, it doesn't belong to his family, it doesn't belong to his financial security or his own ability. Where does steadfast love belong? In God, in God alone, will your heart find the rest and the love that it longs for. And he says this, for you will render to a man according to his work. Right, he says that when God speaks, the power belongs to him. Right? I was reading yesterday in Psalm 29, I just want to read this to you, right? this idea of the power of God's voice. Right? Have you guys ever stopped to think that nothing that has ever come to pass came to pass until God spoke it into existence? Right? Like the, the ground we walk on didn't exist and then God just said something and it formed. Right? Our atmosphere, God spoke and there was an atmosphere. Right? The, the rotation of our earth on its axis, God spoke, boom, happened. Right? Our, the gravity that keeps our planet perfectly in alignment, moving around the sun so that it can sustain life, God spoke, boom, it happened. Right? And look at what, what is said by David in Psalm 29. He says, ascribe to the Lord 
O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. He's making a a cry to everyone to worship God together. Why? Because the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Right? As he, he just says, the voice of God spoke the oceans into existence. The voice of God thunders and his glory rolls over everything. Then he says in verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian, like a young wild ox. He's talking about, hey, the Lord spoke entire biospheres into existence and the animals that live and are sustained in them. God spoke all of that into existence and makes it happen. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. He's saying like, hey, earthquakes, God. Major changes in climate, God, right? That the Lord is in control of everything. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry what? Glory. How glorious is the voice and the power of God. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Do you notice those last, those last two sentences there? He's assuming a level of difficulty in life. And the strength to walk through that comes where? the Lord. He's assuming a level of unrest and disquietness in our souls. Where does the peace for that come? The Lord. Right, as, as David says back in, in verse 12 of Psalm 62, he says, for you will render to a man according to his work. And as we learn to trust in the power of God, we read verse 12 and we're like, well, wait a minute. But he's saying that God will render to us according to our works. This means I need to buckle down and I need to start listing out all the things I need to do to grow in godliness and do what I need to do, right? I mean, that's where my mind ran ran as soon as I read that verse. Hey, my works matter. And David says, God will judge us according to our works, meaning we can resolve to do more, strive solely for obedience, become functional legalists in many ways. But if we do that, that seems to contradict the entire psalm up until that point. Where David has been preaching even to his own soul, be quiet, be still, listen. Rest, wait. So how can David say to us that God will render to us according to our works and yet also at the still, at still at the same time be preaching and resolving in his own heart to quiet his soul and trust in God? How can I be quiet? How can I be still and be rendered for my work? the great contradiction, right, of Scripture, except that it's not. Because David was longing for what all of us can already realize. That because of God's steadfast love for us, we will be rendered according to works, but not our works, but the works of Jesus Christ. The gospel says to you and me that you and I are, to put it quite bluntly, messed up. And, and, and the reality is, is that our own souls and our own hearts and our own weak, wickedness and are so deceitfully wicked beyond even what we could uh, imagine. 
and that our standing before a holy God is completely broken. And that as God created us for love and good works, we have marred that image. And even though that we were made in the image of God, we have walked all over that image and turned to God with our necks stiff and in rebellion and said, we don't need you. And as God renders us to his work and his steadfast love, he said this, my creation has gone astray. They are unwilling to return to me, so I'm going to go to them. This is the Christmas story, right? God, Emmanuel, God with us, came to us. That Jesus came declaring the kingdom of heaven being realized now here on earth because God had sent him. Right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that God is reconciling all things to himself in Christ Jesus. And that means this, that our works will be rendered, but when Jesus, if you are in Christ, God doesn't render your work, he renders the work of Christ on your behalf. And what the cross displays to us is that when Jesus went there, he went there to satisfy the wrath of God for your sin, your rebellion, and for mine. The noisiness and, and loudness in my own heart, Jesus went to die for. But he wasn't done there. The scriptures go on to say that not only did he satisfy the wrath of God, but that because he was buried and then God approved of his sacrifice, three days later he rose from the dead. And in that the great exchange occurred, that Jesus took on my sinfulness, but he credited to me and gave me his right standing before the Father, and that I am adopted and beloved as a child of the Most High God. Not because of my work because of Jesus, because of his work. David can resolve to quiet his heart, not because of his ability, not because of his own work, but because he longed and looked for to what we can already see has happened the coming of Jesus Christ, the one who worked on our behalf. And here's how, so here's how I want to finish our time because I think, right, the biggest thing that we can see and take away from Psalm 62 is our own propensity to allow our souls to become noisy and God's desire for us to quiet them and return to him. And I think David's crying out in verse 8 is where we can kind of practically draw out ways to quiet our own hearts and souls before the Lord and trust in him. Look at what he says. These are gospel promises in verse 8 for those who are trusting in Christ. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Right, that first one, trust in him at all times. I did a little word study this past week on that word trust. And it's used frequently throughout the scriptures in Hebrew to show someone who laid prostrate before a king in complete reliance and neediness. For me, this might mean that when I'm in prayer, I need to actually physically get down on my knees and lay down. If nothing else, to remind my soul <laughs> of where I stand before a holy God and my need for him. Right, David says, we trust that Jesus is sufficient. We trust in nothing else but Jesus' sufficiency. And that that is sufficient at all times, right? He goes on to say, pour out your hearts. Guys, let me share a little secret with you. There is nothing going on in your life that God doesn't know about. Right? I love that scene in, scene in Genesis 3 
where Adam and Eve have eaten from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and what do they do? <laughs> they run and hide in the garden as if like, oh yeah, the omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful God of the universe can't find you playing hide-and-seek, Adam. Well done. Great hiding spot, dude. Right? He, he, God, God shows up in the garden, and his presence is filling the garden, and God's like, I don't want to play hide-and-seek. Where are you? <laughs> and Adam's like, all right, I'm hiding. Right? And, and, and God, what is, God immediately, like, oh, you're hiding because you're naked? How do you know you're naked? Did you eat from the tree you weren't supposed to? As if, like, okay, like, he knew immediately what happened. By the way, anyone who's a parent in here knows, knows how to relate with this because our kids do this stuff all the time, right? Like, I know my kids are in trouble based upon how quiet it is in my house. My kids are back in the back room, and it's, like, pure silence. Something has broken, and they are trying to fix it without us knowing what happened. Right? And, and what David is saying here right, is, hey, trust in him, and guess what? He's good. He's loving. He's steadfast. And you can pour out your heart to him. You can be vulnerable with God. You can get personal with the Lord. You can be willing to be known. Guys, this is a great struggle for me. Like over the years in my life, there have been people that have known me and known the dark places of my heart and they've used that against me, right? And so naturally, I'm inclined to not let people into that space, including the Lord. But when I do, it's so liberating. It's so free. And, And I'll be honest with you, there have been times where people have abused that. God never has. Not once in my life have I gone to the Lord frustrated and furious and lost in my own heart or with something going on around me and God has used that to chastise me or break me down. He's always met me in that space to say, I love you. I'm here for you. I'm gonna walk you through this. I'm sufficient. I am good. And I'm working out all things for your good according to my glorious purposes. Not once. Not through the loss of my grandfather. Not through the ups and downs of church planning. Not through the the deepest, darkest valley of my wife's miscarriage and then Josiah's epilepsy. Not once in that vulnerability and that weakness, when I finally went to the Lord and gave it to him, did he use it against me, but instead he met me lovingly and with steadfast love. God's just inviting us. Quiet your heart. Quiet your soul. Come to me. And then last he says this. This is a promise that he's, he's sharing with us and giving, giving to himself as well. God is a refuge. That's what he's saying. Go to God and hang on. He is powerful. He is rest. He is good. Trust him. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to invite Stephen to come up and turn the lights out for us. And you guys know that every Sunday what we do here is we, we have a time of response after, after we're in the word. All right? We're going to do something a little, a little different this morning. Normally, right, we have a song kind of playing, and we come and take communion as we feel led, and then, you know, we go back to our seat, and we just participate in worship. But I don't think that's what the Lord wants from us this morning. So we're going to turn the lights down. You can go ahead and turn them down, Stephen. And I've, I've worked it out with Brent. Brent's going to play a little bit of acoustic music just so there's something going on in the background. But here's what I want to encourage you to do during this time. We're going to take five or ten minutes. And we're just going to sit. And we're going to be still. Because, guys, if we're going to be the church, if we're going to love God, love others, to be a church for the campus and the community, if we're going to make disciples with the fervor that that we want to and we desire. It's got to start with a deep, deep and profound reliance on God. And so here's what I would invite you to do. Just sit there and pray. 
you don't know what to say, just sit there quietly. It's okay. If you're in Christ, the Spirit will be interceding for you anyway because God is good and a refuge. Just pray, talk to Him. Tell Him what's going on. If you're struggling with something, share it with Him. Be vulnerable. He's safe. There's sin that the Lord brings up as you reflect on your week, as you reflect on on what we've talked about this morning with the noisiness of your own soul, repent. And God is faithful to forgive. He's available. And then lastly, come up and take communion. Communion is a way that when we walk up here, we take communion, we, we are resting in the gospel. We are resting in the promises of Jesus. When you take communion, you are saying that I have trusted that what Jesus did on the cross and the giving of his life and blood for me and his life, death, burial, and resurrection, that is sufficient to save me and adopt me into the kingdom of God. So come take communion and then go back to your seat and just be still. Be quiet. And at the end of that time, I'll come back up here and I'll pray for us, and I'll invite the band to come up and lead us in a time of worship. But right now, let your heart be still before the Lord and worship.